What exactly is the connection between water and climate? I think it is quite obvious that water in itself, the presence or the absence of it, is one of the major indices that our climate is changing today. And I have been very curious to know more about this. And this is why I'm very excited about this edition of the Climate Talk podcast. My guest, Shayna Shea, is a water professional. For over 10 years, she's been working on documenting water, water crisis, water solutions from across the world. She's based out of the United States of America, but she's had very significant presence uh, across the world. The water report itself has been around for nearly two decades. We're talking about lots of experience here. But hey, welcome. Welcome to this edition episode of the Climate Talk podcast. My name is Shay Fumi Adebote. It's been a pleasure uh, doing this for nearly three years now, curating the stories and actions of people from across the world and trying to find the connection, trying to simplify the message of climate change and also putting some spotlight on the incredible things that people across the world are doing to make the world a better place. I'm your guide, and I hope this will be a smooth ride. To those joining for the first time and wondering, uh, the Climate Talk podcast is available on the website. It's called www.climatetalkpodcast.com. You'd also find the Climate Talk podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform and search for Climate Talk podcast you definitely will find the Climate Talk podcast there. That said, welcome. Shall we jump into this conversation? It's a pretty long one, so I wouldn't take so much of your time with this intro and outros. So I just want to say thank you for listening. And uh, here we go. Such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Shayna Shay. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much for making out the time, and I'm glad that we can uh, have this conversation. I've read your profile. I know about the work you do at the uh, Water Report, but I just want to sort of pass the mic to you and have you introduce yourself, Shayna. Sure. Thank you, Shay. So my name is Shana Shea, and I'm the editor and owner of The Water Report. And The Water Report is a publication that comes out on a monthly basis. It's designed for water professionals. Um, it is unique, though, because we provide in-depth analysis about the challenges and solutions that we are working on in the Western United States from a variety of perspectives. So we don't just focus on one industry within water. We talk about all the sectors. We have articles from thought leaders in water quality, water policy, uh, water law, tribal water, all, all coming together with the, uh, the idea that by learning from our peers, we can, we can find better challenges and or better solutions and faster. Absolutely. And there is a need for that. You may be in the US, I may be in Sweden, someone may be listening from Nigeria. But one thing that unites all of us is the fact that we all need water to live. And that's why the concept or the challenges that water poses is not just a local, as much as there could be some local diverse um, uniqueness to, to how these challenges have been uh, experienced, we cannot take away the fact that it's a global problem. 
So let's start with a global outlook of the water challenges as you understand it today. Yeah, well, I absolutely agree. I think water issues are pretty much the same all around the world and they they really follow the same pattern of how much water is there, who has it, how are we using it, and how do we get it to where it needs to go. Uh, one of the new challenges that I'm seeing emerging in the United States is, is also who is going to do the work. So we've seen an influx of funding from governments, and I know it's not just in the U.S., um, to help address climate change. But uh, we are facing some challenges in distributing these funds because the process of selecting projects and actually making them happen requires a lot of time and resources, and people are already working really hard at their daily jobs. So I've noticed a lot of people talking more about capacity and and finding more people and training more people to do the work um, around climate change and around water that we really need to happen. Interesting. And just for you, the listener out there, um, Shana and I connected just after the World Water Week, which was organized by the Stockholm International Water Institute uh, in the last week of August 2023. Uh, And it was based on that um co-interest of water that we we thought hey let's let's have this conversation and like you said uh shayna platforms like this are quite important it brings to fore um the different opinions or the different um experiences from across the world um you also mentioned something when you spoke just now which was climate change but sometimes you know it's quite difficult to make that connection between water and climate change. If you had to make that connection in very simple terms, how would you connect uh, the challenges of water to the climate crisis today? Sure. Well, climate change is having a huge impact, as we all are, are aware of now. And I think it really comes down to how fast things are changing. The systems of water management, law, even politics that we've established around water no matter where we live in, they aren't very good at allowing us to adapt to these changes quickly. So whether the, you know, the weather is getting more extreme and whether that means we're going to have more water in one year or less water in one year, the pendulum of these extremes is really hard to manage. So we're always, we're always trying to catch up. Interesting. Uh, There is this saying I heard, and since the last time I heard it, it's sort of stuck. And it's the saying that when it rains too much, Africa cries. When it doesn't rain at all, Africa cries. Let me put it in context. <laughs> when it rains and there's so much of rain, because there is not enough innovation, enough systems to keep this water, to manage this water, to flow or to utilize them as best as we can or store them in for the, for the um, dry days, it means we are then bombarded with lots of water that we do not need and we cannot manage. And that leads to flooding, that leads to displacement of people, that leads, means people will have to lose their properties, some people have to lose their life, and the process of trying to cope with all this. On the other hand, when there is no water, of course, needless to say, we know what that means. It means there is no life. But in the US, do you also experience, or what are the dynamics when it comes to uh, water challenges in the US? Uh, could you? Could you give us like a picture of what it looks like? 
Definitely. Well, it's all connected, right? Just like you were describing. If there's too much, we have issues. If there's too little, we have issues. But also the other impacts from climate change, for example, wildfires. In the West, we've experienced a huge number and a huge increase in wildfires and their severity over the past decade or two. And, you know, we see that in Australia as well. This is not just happening in the U.S., um, but the impacts of that sort of uh, natural disaster, it, it trickles down. And then we have challenges in water, cleaning water from those watersheds because, you know, everything is connected the, in the environment, right? And even though we've tried to separate it um, as humans in society, we've done a pretty good job, but now we're having these extremes where we can't actually manage that any longer. What are these extremes if you had to... Uh, conceptualize it for for like a novice what are these extremes that you're witnessing flooding and drought <laughs> um, i think that pretty much summarizes it so we're having longer periods of drought with hotter temperatures breaking records for uh, strings of hotter temperatures over months temperature wise um, we're experiencing the aridification of soils where they've gotten so dry that they have um they're no longer able to absorb water in the way that they used to. That's a compounding impact on our environment. And it's a real challenge in the Colorado River Basin. And then on the other side, what you're describing is the flooding. We don't have the infrastructure built um, for the types of floods that we are now getting on a more regular basis. Um, I actually was you know, writing an article or an issue last month, and I had a, a water brief that was talking about how our modeling for flooding has completely changed. Uh, it's, it's out of date, right? Because the, the way that our weather patterns have changed over the past 20 years is, is resulting in predictions of 100-year floods, but they're happening every eight years in some areas. And more and more people are exposed to these extremes, whether that be drought or flooding. Mm. Interesting. I mean, in the first half of this conversation, uh, we've talked a lot about setting the pace or setting the ground and giving people that background knowledge about water and why we should have conversations like this, even on the Climate Up podcast. But this second half of the uh, conversation, I want us to focus on three things. First, if there is anyone to give um, insights or to share some success story, I think you are in the better position to do that looking at the incredible work you do and the resources you have access to uh, with your work at the Water Report. Uh, second, I want us to talk about the need for global cooperation uh, and the need for that international rallying together uh, and political will also, if we will address the problem. And we will close out this conversation talking about your predictions for the future. So let's start. If you had to share with us some practicable solutions that you've seen that is bringing about ways to deal with the water crisis or the water challenges that we face today. Uh, what will some of these solutions be? The good news is there are many solutions available to us. Um, in a lot of ways, we just need to speed up their implementation. And, and these concepts might not be new to some of your listeners, but I've tried to group some of the, the big uh, categories of solutions that I'm aware of. And I'll I'll also provide some examples of, of articles that we've had most, most recently as well. So to start off, um, 
trying to allow water, trying to find ways to allow water to move more flexibly. And what I mean by that is, you know, having water go to where it's most needed and most valued can be a challenge, uh, whether that comes down to transportation or legal constraints. So I've seen, um, especially with my experience, I actually lived in Australia for a couple of years um, working for uh, the state of Victoria in water markets. And so water markets are close to my heart. It was really an, an interesting and uh, valuable time of my life because I was able to see a completely different way to manage water resources, and that is through water markets. So in the Western United States, I have seen some successes with water markets. Again, just coming back to the fact that we want to um, move water more flexibly. Uh, in the Western United States, we have a uh, what we call prior appropriation, and that's our legal framework. And what that means in layman's terms is really, if you have water rights, you must use the water rights or you lose the water rights. So we call it a use it or lose it scenario. This is obviously not very beneficial, <laughs> very helpful for long-term management or sustainability. So water markets have come into play in a lot of the states in the West um, in various different capacities to try to address this um, problem. And so uh, I have some examples like in Nevada, there's a basin called the Walker Basin. Um, people are now trying to use water markets so that in this closed system, which doesn't get a lot of rain, they can manage it better by sharing um, water when people don't need it. So farmers can you know, sell their water, I'm using quotation marks here, um, to the environment. And then that water will stay in the system as in-stream flow and it will go down and it will be, um, you know, contained and, and contribute to the uh, tribal nation that's at the that's located near there uh, and, and have benefits, obviously, to the environment and to the fishing systems and all of that. So that's one example. Um, another big example, and this is a more recent one, is in Utah. Uh, I was actually on a podcast last week called The Ripple Effect. And it was um, talk. We were talking about water trends again, um, but it was led by Emily Lewis, who is a wonderful expert in the area of water markets, among many other things. And um, she recently wrote an article for us on the new Water Banking Act um, in Utah. So now legislation is paying attention and changing, which is a, a really good thing. And with this new uh, legislation, you have to you have to try it out, right? You have to um, do some case studies. And so the article we uh, presented was all about, well, what does a water bank actually need? Who needs it? How can you identify whether or not it's going to help your um, specific region or community? Um, and answering those questions is really important. So I thought that was a really nice, innovative solution that they're working on and implementing. Um, we also have in Texas the Edwards Basin, which is an aquifer that's managed in a really creative way um, and allows uh, for recharge of the aquifer in certain spots and, and sort of moves water along around legally, which is very complex and I, I won't do it justice by trying to explain. Uh, and then finally, I just wanted to bring up Arizona. Um, they have a really, uh, really in-depth system of groundwater management because they are such a dry state. 
And so they've come up with long-term storage credits, again, recharging, um, you know, effluent or stormwater uh, into the ground and then allowing them to build up credits to use for the future. So, you know, all of these types of water markets uh, really benefit the moving away from the use it or lose it scenario. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't have to look like that. It can be, you know, incentivizing private um users as well and there's a whole range of things that happen around the economic you know water market sort of situation um the other ones that i wanted to talk about were low impact design and improving or updating our infrastructure so in in america specifically we are coming up against aging infrastructure uh but the good news is that we have a real opportunity here to implement or come up with creative ways to uh, work more sustainably with our environment. And I think that's going to be really critical. So using our natural rainwater better and more effectively, creating smaller, you know, catchments even along the side of roads is actually has huge environmental benefits. Um, One of the articles we've written recently was also about some chemicals and tires that have a real that have a real negative impact on fish um, and specifically salmon and those related to salmon uh, and the a really easy solution is to have you know basins so to catch the chemicals or the rain coming off of the roads that have these chemicals in it and and to let it sink into the ground and the, and the ground does a great job of cleaning our our water in a lot of ways so you know again just finding ways to work more effectively with nature rather than against it um another thing that's really close to my heart is uh, water rights so settling water rights and also quantifying how much water there there is uh good data good data accounting, good data metrics for success. Like the more information that we have and the easier it is to access, um, that gives us the confidence to make bigger decisions. Uh, So if we don't have the correct data or good data before making the decisions, there's a big risk of making the wrong one. So I've seen a lot of um, people working to uh, actually go through and do the modeling, the accounting of how much groundwater there is, how much water there really is in a system. Um, Also, you know, coming up with what they're calling an internet of water, something similar to what we see with weather, where all of that data is consolidated and and everyday people have access to it and they know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Like, how cool would it be if you could um, look up like, oh, how much water is flowing in the river by my house or the creek by my house today? Like, um, I think having that connection with everyday citizens is also uh, really impactful. Uh, And then um, tribal water rights is really important uh, from my perspective. And so that's indigenous water rights. We haven't settled all of the water rights for tribes in America by any means. There's over 530 tribes in America and only about 38 of them have their water rights secured. And this is this is huge because it really does come down to life or death um, and access uh, to something that should be uh, a human right, which is water. Um, so by uh, there's a lot of benefits uh, to other people also by quantifying 
the water that should be associated with these indigenous peoples, because then we have a better understanding of how much water is in the system. And it, and it, it comes back to that, to that good data. Um, but really all of this is benefited from having real conversations about what we do on a local scale. And, you know, Shay, me and you were talking about this a little bit before we uh, started recording here, but I think it's great to see people sit down on a community-based scale and talk about how we value water. And we can see this starting to happen in some areas um, I know that California, uh, as a result of, of new requirements under their Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, is actually uh, facilitating mediated sessions with communities to talk about this because we are going to have to have difficult conversations about what we do with water for the future because water scarcity is increasing. We, we have access to less water and uh, especially in the West. And so we need to really talk about how we value it and how we wanna use it. So I, I'm starting to see that happen as well, which is um, really exciting. So I, I just talked a bunch, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, happy to answer any questions on what I <laughs> Interesting, thank you so much, Shayna. Thank you so, so much. You know, my next question would have been about rallying more cooperation to address what the challenges and what have you, but I think you, um, and, and also in the context of, you know, the world, um, Water Week, for instance, the UN conference, there's a lot of uh, ocean conferences and what have you. But you you already answered that. And I love the fact that you talked about indigenous people. I think they are most most times left out of the conversation, um, which yes. is not which is a disadvantage to ourselves, because I love to say that long before all of the conferences and researches, people in indigenous local communities have been dealing with these problems and it is yep. just important that they are part of even these um, new innovations and um, you know classy conversations that we're having about it there was also one thing that i want to highlight from um, what you said a few minutes ago and it's the fact that the more people have access to correct information the better their judgments or the better decisions they are able to make and I think that is quite profound, not just for um, folks in the water space, but even for folks trying to understand the whole concept of climate change. And that's when people ask me, what is one thing I can do uh, to solve the problem about climate change? I just say, get more information, get more, more knowledge about it, how it affects you. And there you can then begin to think about what you can do. I wouldn't be the one to say, hey, do this or don't do this. Thank you so much, Shana, for this insights and perspective you've shared with us it's been a lot of learning for me i would say the old water market and the old water credit is quite new i would be very glad to dig into it and learn more about this uh as we call it a wrap shayna what are your predictions for water in the future i think that it's really good news that people are concerned about climate change and about water right now Everyday citizens are, are talking about this, and I think that level of engagement is huge and there's lots of potential to mobilize it. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is, let's not waste a good crisis. Um, so I, I, I predict for the future that uh, we are going to have to value water at it completely. And what I mean by that is... Um, realizing the value of water uh, because we see scarcity increasing across the world. It really comes down in a lot of ways to supply and demand. 
So if there's less water, you know, water, the value of water is going to change. Um, but I think that even with that change, uh, fundamentally, uh, societies haven't done a great job of how to add in the value of water for the environment. So I, I expect that we are going to start working um, to do this more. And I, there's a lot of smart people who are already working on this. Um, but obviously finding a better way to value water for the environment is going to be hugely important to our future because we can't accomplish, accomplish much if we don't have a healthy environment to live in. So I expect that um, we're going to start working harder to find a way for for us and our societies to re-enter the natural cycle rather than relying on intense manipulation of environment. Um, we will work on ways to work with it. And with that, I would say we've come to the end of this conversation. It's been exciting and I hope we can have this conversation again probably looking at some of the dimensions of water. But for now, I want to say thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the insights. And thank you so much for the great work you're doing with the, the Water Report. Shay, for having me. I uh, really value the work that you're doing and spearheading environmental education is absolutely critical. So thank you for having me. Happy to talk again. Once again, Shane, I have to say thank you. I imagine that not just me, uh, I imagine that this lessons, this knowledge you've shared is not new for just me, but even for many other people who now can make clear connections between uh, water and climate and also are inspired to take some sort of action. I also want to say thank you for the incredible work that you do at the Water Reports. It's really, really amazing. And that's the size of this episode of the Climate Talk podcast. It's been exciting. It's been one that I have learned a lot and I hope you have also. Feel free to check out other episodes of the Climate Talk podcast. If you want to reach me, my email is shay at climatetalkpodcast.com and shay is spelled S-E-Y-I at climatetalkpodcast.com. The website is also climatetalkpodcast.com. You can find more information about the podcast uh, and also listen to previous episodes. Feel free to connect with us. Well, that will be all for now. Uh, till the next episode, I, as I always say, no action is too small. Keep learning and keep doing your bits to make the world a better place. <laughs>